Good morning. Today I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him no, no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right. Well, if you guys have Bibles, open them up to John chapter 3, the Gospel of John chapter 3. And we are also going to get to that passage you just heard read from 1 John. Uh, my name is Tyler Johnson. I'm one of the pastors here. Frank Switzer is actually not here, um, who is typically normally teaching here on Sundays. He's not here because he's running the Boston Marathon. And I am here because I don't run marathons. So he does, he's not here, I don't, so I am here. We are in actually the third message of a six-message series titled, Who Is This?, that began on Good Friday uh, with a message called, Who Is This?, who died on the cross, and then Easter was, Who Is This?, who rose from the dead, and then today is, Who Is This?, who exposes darkness? And we're packaging a series together, really looking at this question that came out so often in the Gospels, and even does today, when people look at Jesus, most often their question is, who is this? Right? In a very real way, Jesus is an enigma. And this is actually brought up in the beginning of our study guide. We want to point out these to you. Every series that we do at Redemption Church, we provide you a study guide. You can get a hard copy of this study guide for five bucks. If you walk out this center aisle to the black R, you can buy it for five dollars or you can get it for free in a PDF form online. Our website redemptionaz.com. Go to the Who is Jesus section. You can get a free PDF. But these are really, really worthwhile. They'll take you deeper into a study of what we're teaching on. You can use them in your families, in your redemption communities. Ideally, you would use it with somebody else and do the study in community, but even if you just do it on your own, it's excellent. We really encourage you um, to look into this, but I want to read a little bit from the very beginning of this study guide to get at the idea of why we would do this series on who is this seeking to encounter Jesus. The beginning of this, the introduction of this study guide says this, Throughout the Gospels, those who encounter Jesus have difficulty processing what they are experiencing. So if you ever read the Gospels, you see that, that people encounter Jesus and they have a difficulty processing what it is exactly that they're experiencing. In their confusion, their amazement, and their awe, they are often left asking the question, Who is this? The question usually comes after Jesus has done something truly incredible, like forgiving a person's sin, or bending the laws of nature, or challenging the religious establishment. The people know that they have just come in contact with an extraordinary, even supernatural individual, and they simply have no categories to put him in. The study guide then goes on to say, sadly enough, we have created categories for Jesus, and we have become unlike the people who actually experienced him, who actually touched him, heard from him, walked with him. So in our culture, he still remains a popular figure, but most of us and most people on the streets only understand just a caricature of Jesus. They don't understand who he really was. Their caricature, their view of Jesus is formed by popular culture, or it's formed by past experiences, so a bad past church experience, or what the news has said about Jesus. But the problem with this is the awe, the intrigue, the bewilderment 
of the people who actually did experience him is lost on us, namely because we may have never encountered the real Jesus or our view of Jesus isn't like those who walked with him, touched him. And so we have this just lukewarm acceptance of him, which really Jesus doesn't allow you to have just a lukewarm acceptance of it. People that really experienced Jesus either hated his guts, it was extreme, either hated his guts or couldn't stay away from him. And the funny part is even the people who hated his guts couldn't stay away from him. They still got there and were arguing against him and ragging on him continually. So general apathy of Jesus isn't really an option because he doesn't allow room for it. So that's somewhat of a taster into this series as well into this study guide. And today we're going to look at who is this Jesus who exposes darkness. I was driving home the other day listening uh, to the radio and an advertisement came on for Home Depot. I don't know if you knew that they just started a new big advertising campaign. And in this particular radio ad, the punchline of the advertisement was this. Excellent lawns, this is like your house outside, excellent lawns don't just happen, weeds do. That was the punchline. Excellent lawns don't just happen, weeds do. And I thought to myself, that's just like my body, right? Like six packs don't just happen, flab does. (laughs) And then I started thinking deeper and I thought, that's actually, you could say that about pretty much anything in life, right? Like, Great marriages don't just happen, conflicted ones do. Great cultures don't just happen, corrupt ones do. Great businesses don't just happen, selfish ones do. Great buildings don't just happen, ugly ones do, right? We know that living where we live. That's, that's true. You could say that. You could say that. I have a friend of mine that, that uh, I love this. He's sitting in the room that talks about stucco world in Arizona, right? But you could say that about anything in life. Great things don't just seem to happen, but over time and the reality of what we experience is the opposite of good seems to naturally come about. But what comes about that is amazing seems like it takes a lot of work, a lot of cultivation, and at times you could almost say the really great things are not just natural, but they're like supernatural. Like something's coming about that you go, that's really good. That's actually, that line is a lot like Jesus when a man approached him and said, hey, good teacher, you are good. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Nobody's good but God alone. And then it's like James saying that every good and precious gift comes down from the Father of lights, from God. That everything good we experience in the world really is supernatural, divine, if you will. But the flow of life seems to bring the opposite. Good lawns don't just happen, weeds do. I have a, a, a poet who's actually a songwriter who I really like right about now. He's just begun to be a little bit popularized in the last couple years. His name's John Mark McMillan, and he is an amazing lyricist. He writes incredible lyrics, and he has a song called Economy. And listen really close. There's always um, the tendency when a guy like me is speaking in front of a group and reads a quote or sections of lyrics that you just check out. So I'm not just going to read them straight. I'm, I'm going to try really hard to do it slow so you can experience it, but you have to do the work to listen and experience these. Now, you know a poet or a songwriter writes lyrics that you're actually supposed to think into, and you got to almost experience them, if you will, okay? We're going to tap into our creative side here for a minute. So listen to these lyrics, and he's getting at this reality of great things don't just naturally happen. He says, raise your voice. This is the very beginning of the song. Raise your voice. Chase away the ghosts, the pain that haunts a heart. Now stop, this should be resonate. The pain that haunts a heart, the things we fear the most. Now listen to this line. He says, the entropy of life, the slow decay of time. 
Now, here's what he's getting at, the entropy of life. If you don't know what the word entropy means, it literally means the gradual progression downward. So he says the entropy of life, the slow decay of time that wars against our bones. Now, let's just talk physically. No matter what your worldview is sitting in here, you would affirm that your body is gradually getting worse no, no matter how hard you try to fight it. It gets worse. You know, your knees get creakier. It's harder to get out of bed. Your back begins to hurt. There is a warring against your bones physically. The statement would be, we're all dying. Right? We're all moving. We're all aging. We're all moving towards death. There is a war against our bones. But what this songwriter saying is, but that's bigger than just your physical body. All of life has an entropy to it, a slow decay of time. He then goes on and he says, he's speaking about the wider life, and he says, all of these sinking ships are ruled against the wave, the raging of the tide, I love this phrase, the tyranny of days. You know, like tyranny of rulership? Like that, he's a tyrant ruler, He's a horrible leader. You feel the oppression. He says, life, the days have an oppression to them. And then he says, and sleep would chase us down. Sleep would have its way, and night would fall upon us all. Now, when you think about night, night would fall upon us all. What's falling upon you? Darkness. This same picture is brought out by the writer of the Gospel of John, John himself, and he speaks about light and darkness. And he speaks about darkness the same way John Mark McMillan is. Actually, John Mark McMillan's getting it from the Bible. But he speaks about it in the same way that darkness is, speaks about oppression. It speaks about death. It speaks about anguish. That's how the gospel writer John's doing it. And light is the opposite of that. So look in John chapter 3. He says this, John 3, starting in verse 19 through 21, and this is the judgment the light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now, just so you know this, in the Gospel of John and in the Bible, the light is Jesus, right? Who is this Jesus? Encountering Jesus is the subtitle of this series. The light is Jesus. Okay, so he says, and this is judgment, the light is coming to the world, but people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. So these people you see in the Gospels and people even today, this passage is saying fear coming to Jesus because he is the light. They fear coming to him because their deeds are evil. Now, the Bible would say if you follow, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. We see deeds, but that's the smoke. That when your deeds get exposed as evil, the Bible would say, well, there's fire somewhere, and it's actually in the human heart. We're going to get to this later on, and that that's where the problem really lies. But there's this contrast of light and darkness, and the darkness hates the light because it exposes what's hidden in the dark. So we're going to look at this passage. Now, I want to say a quick word on a phrase that we'll use here. If you're around, some of you have heard it, some of you haven't heard it. At Redemption Church, we believe in preaching, and we believe in what we call expository preaching. Now, expository preaching, all that means is that you're going into a text trying to get the meaning God gave through that author. That author had an intention in writing that book, and you want to bring it out. Now, most of the time, we do that verse by verse, but that's not the only way to do it, just to take verse by verse, because these sections that we teach were written as either entire letters or entire books. So today, we're going to look at the the book of John, primarily through John 3, but we're going to bring in some other passages in the Gospel of John to understand this idea of light and darkness. Who is this Jesus who exposes darkness? This light that exposes darkness. Now, you've got to understand something in the Gospel of John is that light is related to life, L-I-F-E, 
Light is related to life, and darkness is related to death. Light is related to life and darkness to death. Now, I'm going to give you what people call an existential argument. That means I'm going to give you something that's just going to deeply resonate within you. It'll just be one of those things that you go, I could probably logically get there, but you sense it's true more than anything else. I gave you one already. When I was reading those lyrics, I know that every person in here knows that life is not the way it should be. I have three friends of mine right now, three guys that I know, two I know really, really well, one I know is like an acquaintance, who have young children who all three have cancer. Okay, it doesn't take faith or a certain worldview to look at that and just deep in your bones go, that's not the way life's supposed to be. That shouldn't happen. You feel that, you sense it, no matter what your belief is. No matter if you're Buddhist, Hindu, atheist, or Christian, you just go, that is not, that, that is not right, right? We establish that at the front end. Here's the other thing I know, and this is the other side of this existential argument. I know every person in here, every human being, wants to experience life. Life in such a way that's worthy of the word. Like when you think about life and you go, life is more than just breathing in and out. And that's why when Jesus talks about abundant life, every human ear begins to perk up because they go, I want life, life to the full. Life that's worthy of the word life, like capital L, capital I, capital F, capital E, I want that. Now the Bible relates light to life, darkness to death. So what we're going to do in the Gospel of John is look at these three things. We're going to look at the effect of the light. Now understand this, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So when we say the effect of the light, we mean the effect of Jesus. We're going to look at the effect of the light, the necessity of the light, and the purpose of the light. The effect of the light, the necessity of the light, the purpose of the light. So we could say the effect of Jesus, the necessity of Jesus, the purpose of Jesus, right? Here we go, the effect of the light. A study, if you study all the texts that use the word light in the Gospel of John, okay, you look through the whole Gospel of John, look for the word light, how many times it occurs, it will show you this, that the effect, and in many ways, the purpose of the light is to expose darkness, Okay, the purpose of the light is to expose darkness. So here's a word we would put over. The effect of the light being to expose darkness is this. Judgment. Now, I know that word can make your skin crawl, and people are going to go, who are you to judge? And judgment, we don't like that word inherently, but the reality is light exposes what's in the darkness. It exposes darkness for darkness, and in fact, by the very nature of it shining itself upon the darkness, it is judgment. So I have four kids, two, two of my boys, the two oldest are boys, six and four. We put them down every single night and we'll pray for them. And we always end our prayer time with this blessing in the book of Numbers that says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in one day, and we'll say to the boys, godly wives. That's how we end it. That's actually not a part of numbers, but we add it in there, right? So we'll say that to him. Now, just to be honest with you, at the end of a day where I may have worked all day, Haley's been with the kids, we get them in the room, and, you know, for whatever reason, they get, like, a second wind or really rowdy at the end. So a lot of times it's like, I'm praying, may the Lord bless you and keep you while I'm thinking, and may I smack you, right? May the Lord bless and keep you, wow, you know, may he may be gracious to you, may I be ungracious to you, right? Like my heart is being exposed, but we're praying for those kids, and so many times I'm just saying it really fast. May the Lord bless you and keep you, may he make his face, all right, let's get out of here, shut off the light, close the door. So I'll walk out, close the door, turn out the light, and the two of them will be in there, and you'll begin to hear them, kind of talking, and then whispers get a little louder, and then all of a sudden you'll hear a like, ah, scream, right, and at that moment you're thinking, Lord help me not hurt these kids, right, so they'll, they'll start going, and so you're, th then all of a sudden it gets a little bit louder, and then if it gets really quiet, 
you're thinking one of two things. Either, thank you, Jesus, they're asleep, or there's a problem, right? Like, there's no reason they'd be quiet right now. There's a problem. So then, as a parent, here's what you do. It's dark in the room. It's still light in the hallway. I'm going to open the door and expose what's happening in the room. So you open the door, and you see the first one, and he's asleep. But the problem is the second one's awake with a marker drawing on the other one's clothes, right? And you're going, what in the world? And then what does he do when he's drawing on the clothes? Dad, right? It's his deeds have been exposed, and whether he likes it or not, it's judgment. The very nature of light is judgment. That's just the truth. If you think about light and darkness, happened this week. There's a very famous football coach um, who's been winning a lot of games, and he was exposed. Light got shed upon a situation that he was having an affair with a 26-year-old girl. The only reason they knew it is he had a motorcycle accident. They had to be tended to, and she was on the back, and then he lied. The truth came out. His deeds were exposed. So look at John chapter 3, verse 19. Look at how it starts. And this is the judgment. What's the judgment? The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want to go to the light because they didn't want their deeds to be exposed. But what that passage says is that the judgment is light being exposed upon the darkness and revealing that people love darkness rather than the light. Hear that. The judgment is that light exposes the fact of what our true loves are. We love darkness rather than the light. Who's the light? Who do we say the light is? Jesus, who the Bible says is the one whom we were made by and for. So look at this. Hear this. This is what John's saying in John 3. With the coming of Jesus, light has come into the world. The coming of the light means judgment because it reveals the fact that men and women love darkness rather than the light. In John chapter 8, if you skip forward about five chapters, you don't need to move there, but Jesus says this. He speaks to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have, hear this, the light of life. Hear his words again. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, now I want to make a point here, and this is very important. Sin and Jesus are opposites. The same way light and darkness are opposites. Okay, that's very... Let's just start here. Light and darkness are opposites, right? Yes. Jesus and sin are opposites. They're opposite directions. So you cannot have a party in darkness. I'm speaking metaphorically here. You cannot party, set up your tent in darkness, live there, and then say, and I'm following Jesus. It doesn't work like that. If you're following Jesus, here's what he just said. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me doesn't walk in darkness. They're walking in the light of life. Now, if we said life that's worthy of the word, you would begin, if you were creating pictures in your mind, it'd be like a robust life, a full life. C.S. Lewis said it like this, and I love this statement. He says that so many of us spend our time making mud pies in the slums and eating mud pie in the slums while God is offering us a holiday at the sea. See this picture, C.S. Lewis. So many of us spend our times making mud pies in the slums, in the darkness, while God is offering us a holiday at the sea. Sin and Jesus are in opposite directions. They're opposites. Now, darkness in the Bible is spoken of. The biblical word over all of that would be sin. Now, this is really important, what I'm about to say here, and there's 
opportunity for confusion here, so I'm going to try to be really clear, and you got to listen, and hopefully my clarity will sink in because this is important. When you think about sin, biblically speaking, you have to think bigger than sins, but not less than sins. Here's what I mean. Many times if we say the world is in sin, you immediately think about your personal sins, the bad things you did this week. Now, it's not less than that, but it is more than that. Sin is way more comprehensive than that. Sin affects all of life. So if I was going to take you from your sins, your acts of sin, on a day-in-and-day-out basis, we would say this. You sin because you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin. Do you see that? Because you didn't come into the world neutral. The Bible says that we came into the world born in sin. So from sins, we sin because we have a deeper heart issue. But now we go, but how did all of that happen? Right? Like, why am I born into sin? Well, in the biblical story, there was a conflict in heaven where one who the Bible says is the father of lies, he's out to seek, to kill, and to destroy. He's the ruler of the darkness. The Bible calls him the God of this age. He's out to seek, kill, and destroy. He's the father of lies, rebelled against God. He wanted to be like God, and therefore he was thrown out of heaven. His name was Lucifer. C.S. Lewis says, through pride, through Lucifer trying to be God, through pride, Lucifer became the devil. Now, the devil enters into human history when humanity's created and starts doing what he does, throwing out lies, throwing out lies. And here's the deal. Adam and Eve appropriate. If you don't know what that word means, it means they took the lies, believed the lies. Appropriating means you take something for yourself. At many times, you take something that's not yours, but he's lying, he's offering the lies, they take them, and then the whole world falls into sin. So now hear this. Sin is a system, it's a culture, it's a reality about life. Sadly enough, but that's true. The Bible says you experience the war against your bones, like that songwriter was saying, because sin is in the world. Now you know this on a creational level. There's tsunamis, there's earthquakes, tornadoes, there's freak accidents. Jesus comes on the scene in many ways to expose this, the reality of sin in the world even when it comes to a creational level or natural disasters. Do you remember the moment when he's with his disciples on a boat and a squall comes up, right, that everybody that was on the sea that was a sailor would have said, we're dead. That's exactly what the disciples were saying. These experienced fishermen are scared to death and Jesus says, be still, and the wind and the waves go still. What's the disciples' response? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? He exposes the reality as the creator of both the wind and the waves. He says the wind and the waves are supposed to function in a certain way, and it's not like this. And he brings his power to go, be still. But sin affects that. Sin also affects all of culture, all of the institutions that shape culture. Sin is there. That's why we have a a system, like a free market system, that is a good thing, but consumerism is sin's distorting of that thing in us making our our identities around what we buy, or corruption in government, or in schools, or in laws. That there are full-blown laws in place that are in the vein of sin because of sin that now say it's okay to kill human beings, live human beings on an ongoing basis. Or people, how sin affects the arts that now will objectify women and call it art. And it affects many levels. Those are the extremes, but you know this, whatever occupation you work in, whatever parts of culture that you experience, you experience the weight of sin. That's reality. Then it goes all the way down into interpersonal relationships, how you relate to each other. So much so, I want want you to understand that the current of sin is so strong that when we hear God speak to us about the way that we should live, we have to go, 
well, that's like radical. That's ridiculous. You could never live like that. So if somebody hits you on one cheek, turn to him the other cheek. What? If somebody wants your clothes, give it all to him and even give him your tunic. If somebody wants you to go one mile with him, go with him two miles. And we go, okay, that's a figure of speech. He doesn't really mean, or does he mean that? Have we been so influenced by the current of sin? Sin, just hear this, sin is the water we swim in now. It's the reality, and this is why Paul warns us in Romans chapter 12 when he says, do not be conformed to the world. Do not be pressed into the world's mold because there are so many things that are happening to you in your life, the way that you're thinking, the way that you're acting, the way that you're feeling that are shaped more by a idolatrous, that means godless culture, than they are by Jesus. And when you encounter the person of Jesus, not just facts about him, but the person of Jesus, he exposes that darkness. And you realize my actions, my sins, which are very real and are sins, are there because I'm taking and believing, hear this, I'm taking and believing lies. I'm living in the darkness and realize this, it may seem fun for a moment. The book of Hebrews says that sin is deceitful. It promises you one thing but never delivers. It promises you one thing and in the end will give you the other. It promises you life but will give you death. You are buying the lies of one who the ruler of this, who's influencing this whole vein, is out to seek, to kill, and to destroy. And Jesus says, but I've come to give life and to give it to the full. So sin is a system. It is the water that we swim in but it gets all the way down to you personally. Okay, there was this big argument with Jesus, with all these religious leaders, about what made somebody unclean. What makes them unclean? If they drink this, if they eat this, if they go there, if they hang out with these people. And Jesus sets the record straight, and he looks at all of them, and he says, I want you to know something. It's not what goes into a man or woman that makes them unclean. What shows their uncleanness is what comes out of them. Because out of the heart comes murder, theft, adultery, and every vile practice. Out of the heart comes corruption, comes selfishness. Out of the heart come your sins. So it isn't that, oh, I'm just affected by this bad culture. The bad culture's affected by our, humanity's, bad hearts. So as we move on, I want you to see something. Sin is us placing an overemphasis on anything, a making ultimate something that ultimately was meant to be for worship of God. So it's taking a created thing and making it into... God. Sin, one of the best definitions, if you want to be really simple about this, is, this is another C.S. Lewis quote, a complete anti-God state of mind. I'm receiving delight in this thing, with or without God. I love it. And then you want to begin to attach God-like language to it, and it loves me, right? So here's what Jesus is saying. I am the light of the world, Walk in the light. I'm exposing these things. I'm bringing them out, which brings us to the next reality of the necessity of the light. So we just saw the effect of the light, the necessity of the light. Here's the, what, I'm, what we're saying here, the necessity of the light, why we need it. In a world of darkness that sins this pervasive, in a world of darkness, there is no hope and there is no direction. In a world of darkness, there's no hope and there's no direction. I told you that my boys are six and four. About two years ago, we were in Denver, and we went to, I don't know if you guys have seen these new places that are like big trampoline gyms that literally are, it's not like old trampoline parks where you have the big circle trampolines. These things are like in the ground, they're trampolines, and then the walls are trampolines, like go up diagonal, and it, they're great. You can break your neck there easily. So if you've ever wanted to do that, go there. It's called Jump Street, and it was in Denver, and they had a great thing. Well, they also had it Jump Street because these aren't just like kiddie trampolines. It's not a kiddie place. I mean, you can be an adult and 
get thrills there very easily, but they had a maze. Now, to put this into context, this maze was not like when you go to the harvest festival with pumpkins and there's the mazes that the haystacks come up to here or like here so the kids can't see but you can see. That's not what this was. Okay, this was like huge walls and this maze was insane. So I go, it's a maze. This will be great to take the kids in there. So I am the one to take my two boys and their two cousins who are girls the exact same age. And so I look at them at the front and I go, kids, we're going into a maze. Trust me, hold my hands, okay? So they hold hands. Ha, 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 this is going to be so fun. Well, it took me about three turns to realize this was no kiddie maze, right? Like I turned three times and I'm thinking, how am I going to get out of this place? I have no, so we keep walking, we keep walking. Now, kids are pretty intuitive as well. They can feel stuff. It's not just adults who can feel it. So they start feeling this reality of, this guy has no clue <laughs> where he's going. So my four-year-old, who's six now, at the th now four at the time, says, Dad, do you know how you're going to get us out of here? Yeah, buddy, don't worry about it, you know? And, you know, he sees, like, a little perspiration come down. <laughs> And I'm thinking, okay, this is crazy. So I'm like turning, turning, nothing. I'm like feeling walls, nothing. So now the kids are freaking out. Like, how are we going to get out of here? <laughs> and you know, like when kids' temperature escalates, your temperature escalates, and it really escalates when you realize they're right. Like it's one thing if you're going, you're wrong, just trust me. But now you're going, trust me, all the while you're thinking, don't trust me. I have no clue what's going on. Like there was no hope in the moment because I was without direction. So I start yelling over the walls to like people outside. Hey, uh, anybody know which way to go? <laughs> right. And on the outside, there's like a video screen that shows this and they're like, just go right. Yeah, it's right there. And I'm thinking right there. Like I needed a map in front of me, light, hope at the moment. But what happened is there was literally this like gel foam thing you pushed on and then you went through like this little trap door and snuggled your way through and the only way we got out was the lady who worked there literally reaching through that thing <laughs> grabbing me and she's like right here <laughs> like come out now listen to this life the bible says is like that maze listen to jesus he says very clearly here that apart from the light Men stumble because they do not have light in themselves. John chapter 11, Jesus answers, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anybody walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. The reality of humanity that the Bible teaches is that there's no one righteous, no, not one. There's no one who understands, no one who seeks for God. Everybody's living in darkness is what the Bible teaches. And that's what Jesus is saying right here is when you live in the darkness, you're making mud pies in the slum, you'll stumble and stammer. And then he goes on even more and he says this, you don't know where you're going, right? It is a, not only do you stumble, but you stumble because you don't know where you're going. John 12, 35, Jesus says this, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness, the one who walks in the darkness, does not know where they're going. Okay, hear that again. He says, the one who walks in the darkness doesn't know where they're going. Now, there's a phrase that Christians use oftentimes and too oftentimes very negatively and i'm not saying i love the term but it comes from somewhere and they'll say people who don't believe in jesus are lost they use it negatively pejoratively we need to correct ourselves understand who we're speaking of but the way the bible pictures those who are in darkness who are who don't have the light, Jesus in them, or them in Jesus, is that they stumble and they don't know where they're going. What's the word for that? They're lost. Because they're in darkness. Just take the picture of darkness. When it's really dark, you stumble, stammer, and don't know where you're going. 
So let me ask you this. First, as an individual, do you know where you're going? Seriously, like when we think about life, do you know where you're going? And if you say yes, I just want to ask you this. Who are you following? Like who are you trusting to lead you to where you're going? Because if it's yourself, if you go, I don't know about all this Jesus mumbo-jumbo and I'm the captain of my own ship, I just want to just humbly, gently say, really? You really trust yourself to get you where you're going. Like in, in a moment's instant, the world can change on you tomorrow and you trust yourself or you go, oh, I'm trusting this, this man. You really trust that man. It's just a question to go, where are you going? Who are you following? And are they worthy? Can they really hold the weight? Can you really hold the weight of that? Like, I'm going to find life in my ability to lead myself forward. I'm going to find life in what the wisdom of this person who also is trying to find life. Now, it's easy right now because many of you in this room would say you are Christians and you are in the light, right? The book of First John, who most biblical commentators would say was written by the same man who wrote the Gospel of John, speaks in a very candid way to those of us who say we are walking in the light. And he gives us five. If you are walking in the light, then your life should look like this. So this will be a great way for us to evaluate ourselves because the reality is you may have been changed deep down by God, but you're pitching a tent in the darkness. Or it may be that you are really struggling. You're being pulled between the darkness and the light. So this is a great uh, passage. 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Listen for the if-then statements, and then we'll go through them. 1 John 1, 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light. And in him, in God, there is no darkness at all. Now here's where the if-then starts. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's just look at this for a moment. If you're in here, and you say you're walking in the light, you're following Jesus, I'm following Jesus, then you have to have, based upon 1 John, a life that is consistent with your profession. If you say you're walking in the light, if we say we have fellowship with Jesus while we're pitching a tent and living in darkness, we're liars. It's not true. You can't pitch a tent and live in darkness and then say, but it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. He's going, no, no, no. That's not true. That would mean you're not walking in the light. You're not in fellowship with Jesus. He then says this, if you're walking in the light, you'll have fellowship with one another. You'll be in good relationships. So if you're the person who has broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship after broken relationship, and the one common denominator through it all is you, likely this passage would say you're not walking in the light. Because if, as you walk in the ways of Jesus, and he says, Listen, here's the greatest of all the commandments. Love God with your everything and love your neighbor as yourself. And you go, but what about the people who I hate? He says, and love your enemies the same way I called you to love your neighbors. If God is for you, who can be against you, right? Be a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's the life in Jesus as we have fellowship with one another. Here's the next thing. If you are walking in the light, you are honest and acknowledge your sin. Now, when I said the first thing, 
which was you have a life consistent with your profession. There were many of you in here that got worried at a moment or nervous by saying, what are you saying then? We're supposed to be perfect? Our lives are supposed to be perfect? No, they're supposed to be consistent with your profession. So you can't sit there and just sit making mud pies in the slums, living in darkness, and say you love Jesus. But, hear me on this, you may have mud in your hair, in mud caked on your face, in mud on your hands, and all over your clothes, but you are desperately saying, I want to walk in the light. And here's what you're saying, I need Jesus. Those who need Jesus do have mud on them. If you didn't have mud on you, sin, you wouldn't need Jesus. If you're in this room and you go, I'm without sin, then the first thing I'll tell you very clearly, you don't need Jesus then. If you're in here and you don't have sin, walk out and don't ever cut. You don't need Jesus. But let me tell you what this passage says. If you say you don't have sin, you're a liar. (laughs) You are a liar and you are massively deceived. So one who's walking in the light knows that. They, they're honest about it. They acknowledge it. They say, I'm going to Jesus because I need cleansing. And then the last thing a person that walks in the light does is they confess their sin. They acknowledge it. They confess it to God, and they have a group of people that they are confessing sin to, knowing that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So the effect of the light is to expose darkness. It's judgment. The necessity of the light is that we're lost. We need Jesus. We need the cleansing power of Christ. We need his love. The last thing is the purpose of the light. As we talk about judgment, the horrible effects of sin, this is very important to understand. The purpose of the lights coming to the world, the purpose of Christ's coming is not to bring judgment. It's not to bring condemnation, but to create faith, to rescue from darkness, to bring salvation to the world. These last four days, I've had all four of my kids while my wife was out of town, and I'm telling you, it can really expose your sin like crazy. Being with, your, with kids that long, it exposes you, but there are a lot of moments because this is parenting, right, where you've got to tell your kids, if you're a parent, you've got to say, no, go to your room. You're going to be disciplined for that. You have to do that to them, and you're doing it not to condemn them, but to save them. You know that living like that will lead them to a life of death. It will lead them to a horrible place, but getting them on the path of righteousness, on the ways of Jesus, will lead to life. And so I'm not there. I have to look him in the face and go, buddy, dad does it wrong sometimes. I get angry. I was sitting with my six-year-old saying this to him last night. I'm like, buddy, you got to understand something. Do I get angry with you? Does it seem like I get frustrated with you? And he's, you know, sometimes, yeah, it does. And I said, man, you've got to know dad's a sinner, and he does stuff wrong a lot. And there's no excuse for that. But when I'm telling you and trying to direct you, it's not, I didn't use this word, I used a six-year-old term, but it's not to bring condemnation upon you. It's because I want you to experience life. In church, God's the exact same way. He's not exposing your darkness to go, ha ha, look, look at these fools. He's not doing that. He's exposing darkness going, that way leads to death. Come to me and find life. This is what he says in John 12, 46. Jesus himself, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. That whoever believes in me would not remain in death. This is why Paul says in Colossians 1, you've been transferred out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of God's beloved son. John 3, 17, right after the famous passage, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know that passage? Right after that. John says this, For God did not ascend his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Understand this right now as we leave and we think about who is this Jesus. Jesus, the God of the universe, is more committed to you experiencing the abundant life than you are. You think you're after it. Like, I'm on a quest for life. 
Jesus is more committed to you experiencing life than you are. Jesus is more committed to your joy than you are. He's more committed to us as a church experiencing life and joy to you as an individual than even you are. He's more committed to our world than we are. So as we leave, here's the thing. I know there's people in here who are going, I don't know if I buy all of this, but just be like those people who followed Jesus who went, I don't know, but they kept coming back. Talk to the person who brought you Come back. We're going to continue this series on encountering Jesus. If you're in this room and you go, and you could be, you could say you're a Christian or you could say you're not, the reality is you know I've pitched a tent too long in darkness. Here's what Jesus is saying. Come to me. Walk to the light and experience life. He's the Savior. He's the Rescuer. He's the Restorer. He's the Redeemer. Let's pray. God, I pray that um, more and more right now uh, people in this room would be asking this question of who is this that so cares about me and us that he's unwilling to leave us in darkness? God, I pray that we would get a very, very clear picture of Jesus and of his love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, now's the point in our service that we do every week here at Redemption Arcadia where we respond, and this is an excellent time to respond and look straight in the face of how much Jesus doesn't want us to stay in darkness, and it's displayed in this bread and in this cup, this bread which represents Jesus' body being broken for us, in this cup which represents the shedding of his blood, the new covenant in his blood. So you're about to get in lines and walk forward to partake in what's called communion. And that's a perfect word because this is about the only way we have communion with God, fellowship with him. The only way we walk in the light is through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. That we know God so loved the world that he entered into our darkness.